If you battle hurt and negativity in your mind, your emotions, wherever, you don't have to stay shackled to it anymore. Overcoming the effects of your past and all the unfair ways you were treated is just a thought or three away. This is the Shut Up Devil Show, and I am Kyle Winkler, author of the book Shut Up Devil, creator of the Shut Up Devil app. I'm all about shutting down the lies and the struggles that keep you from thriving in God's design for your life, and I'm here to do it every single week with a live online audience. I'd love for you to join me live sometime on Thursdays at 8 p.m. Central at kylewinkler.org live. You've heard the term victim mentality, right? It's a way of thinking someone holds to based upon something that happened to them by somebody else. This way of thinking then colors everything. It becomes a lens through which you see everything. And it becomes the reason why a person thinks they can never get ahead, why they think bad things keep happening, and so on. Well, a lot of us live in victim mentalities and don't even realize it. It could be that you were born in some kind of underprivileged class. You were one of the have-nots of life, and therefore you've come to believe that the reason you're struggling today or not getting that promotion or keep getting passed over or whatever is because people are treating you according to that class that you were always a part of and still are today. Or maybe you were abused by someone in the past, and therefore you walk around with this chip on your shoulder thinking everybody should treat you with kitten gloves because of it all. Some years ago, I became aware that I was holding on to a victim mentality myself. Because of all the rejection in my youth that I talk so much about, a friend of mine pointed out that I was thinking like a reject still today. Or at that time, at least, acting as if everyone who didn't respond to a text or an email or a lack of opportunities were all just people continuing to reject me. I'm just a reject. Poor, poor, pitiful me. Well, there are many reasons for victim mentalities, and there are many ways that they manifest. Some are like an Eeyore complex, and people walk around mopey and depressed. Others stay angry or bitter. Others walk around entitled as if the world owes them something. In a word, a victim mentality says that everything that happens to you today is because of what unfair thing happened to you back then. And that creates a lid that limits your potential majorly. Now in this message, you're going to discover how to change a victim mentality to a victor mentality so that you can live the life that Jesus died to give you. Who doesn't want that? And I'm going to give you three must-have victor mentalities, ways to think to help you overcome the effects of your past and the unfair ways that maybe you were treated to help you move from being a victim to a victor. So first, let's talk about why and how this works. Obviously, a mentality has to do with your mind. You know that, right? <laughs> and your mind is made up of thoughts that influence your beliefs, and your beliefs that influence the rest of your life. This is what Proverbs 4.23 ultimately says, that it all steers your life. I'm not going to go into depth about all the spiritual and scientific ways your mind controls you. That's all in my Mastering Your Mind series, in case you want to get more. But here's the gist of it. Biologically, your eye and your brain 
are connected by an optic nerve. And that nerve sends signals back and forth from the eye to the brain, back and forth. And that's what allows you to see. But the one doing more of the work is the brain. It sends more signals to the eye telling it what to see versus the other way around. Now, why does that matter? Because the brain is programmed by past experiences. What happened to you, what was said to you or about you, your own mistakes, the environment around you, it all shapes and molds your mind. It creates a mindset, which is a way of thinking. It's a pattern of thinking. So when you physically see something in the natural, your mind interprets that signal that's being sent to it, and it sends back to the eye and really the rest of your body saying, this is what that is. Your mind tells you what you see. This is why two people can look at the same thing and come to radically different conclusions about what they're seeing. And don't we know that today? Log on to your favorite social app pretty quickly. You're going to see that. It's why the glass is half full for some and why the glass is half empty for others. Probably explains a lot of our political thinking and why it's so different from person to person. And even probably our interpretations of the Bible too. What you see is determined more by your mind than your actual eye. And therefore, what you do, how you talk, act, and live, comes from that. So you see then, right, how a victim mentality gets easily created. It kind of sneaks up on you, uninvited, before you ever realize it. Consistent rejection in the past will mold your brain to see everything as consistent rejection in the present and the future. Something unfair that happened to you in the past will cause you to see everything in the present and future as a consequence of that unfair thing. And that makes many people angry, jealous, or entitled. So mentalities, they affect every part of your life. Now, most reasonable people, and I'm trusting you're one of them, right? Most reasonable people, though it can take them a while to come to terms with, when they finally realize they are operating out of a victim mentality, they want to change. Because they are awakened to how it's limiting them. Yet most people aren't successful with getting out of it because they attack it in the wrong way. They attack it by trying to change their behaviors. They think, I'll stop being jealous, I'll stop being depressed, I'll quit being angry. And they usually come up with some regimen of how they're going to do it. But they never find lasting change. Why? Because behaviors and emotions aren't the root, they are the symptoms. You can't fix a victim mentality by changing what you do. You attack a victim mentality by changing what you believe. Then in time, those new beliefs begin to change how you see, which influences how you talk and how you walk. It's always right believing that influences right behaving, which influences right living. Most of us have that backwards. And it's the same way, by the way, that you attack anything that needs adjustment in your life, like bad habits and behaviors. This week, if you're on my email list, I wrote an article and sent it out called A Better Way to Beat Bad Habits and Behaviors. And 
I'll put a link to that in the notes. But as you fix beliefs, everything else starts to fall in line. That's why Romans 12, 2 says that changing your life is a product of changing what you think. It says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So here in a couple minutes, I'm going to give you three specific thoughts to think that will begin to produce victory in your life. But I have to emphasize this point here. I don't want you to get caught up in works and willpower that amount to nothing more than self-righteousness, because that's not victory. Similar to how a victim mentality is a negative way of thinking based on actions of someone else, which influences how you act despite what's really happening around you. A victor mentality is a positive way of thinking based on the actions of someone else, which also influence how you act despite what's really happening around you. And in terms of a victor mentality, that someone else that influenced you is Jesus. When you begin to intentionally think about what Jesus' actions did for you and what they mean about you, then you will naturally begin to think more positively despite what's really happening around you. And I emphasize that last part, despite what's really happening around you. You see, I'm not going to tell you that changing the way you think actually changes your circumstances. It doesn't make everything around you all positive. I think that's kind of been preached throughout the years, which ended up getting people really disenfranchised with the modern church. The Bible, Jesus, the Gospels, Paul, they never promised that all circumstances would change. In fact, they deeply acknowledged the brokenness of this world and all of its symptoms. The promise is that you can be changed to the situations. Jesus said, in this world you will have trials and sorrows, but take heart. And that means have courage, for I have overcome the world, he said. That's a mindset change based upon what he did. In Romans 8.37, the Apostle Paul gave a list of things that may go on around us, trouble and calamity and persecution and famine and danger. Not fun stuff, not positive stuff. But then he concludes, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours. Some other translations say, we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us. So again, I've said it plenty before, doesn't usually get a lot of claps and cheers or likes and shares, but it's the truth. Victory is not in the absence of problems or struggles or difficulties, at least not on this side of eternity. Here, victory is in your position in Christ. It's in knowing that what happens to you, in you, around you, or even through you, doesn't mean anything about you. And really, that's the end result of cultivating a victor mentality, which is what produces the positive change in you. But that's where we want to get to. So how do we get there? Well, I've selected three personalized truths from God's Word that have especially helped me. And for each truth, 
I'm going to explain what they mean about you. And if you'll really take it in, you'll really receive it, I'm telling you, it'll be the start of change in you. You ready? First victor mentality. I am right with God. Now, this one's really personal to me because a general mindset and feeling that I had throughout childhood and really even a decade into my Christianity until my late 20s or so, mid to late 20s at least, was that I am wrong. As a kid, my shyness and my clumsy athletic ability and my lack of friends and all of that stuff, words kids said about me, it all just produced a whole lot of shame in me. And shame is the belief that who you are is wrong. And that belief only created more insecurity and fear in me. So it was this perpetual cycle that I just couldn't break regardless of how good I acted or how better I got at playing kickball. <laughs> then at 16, I became a Christian. And I understood that with my belief in Jesus, my past was forgiven. I understood that I was saved by grace. But as I said in last week's message on the seven churchy lies that I had to unlearn, I believed somehow that I was saved by grace but maintained by performance. I thought my continual forgiveness and standing before God depended upon how good I could stay and how much I could overcome. It's always a fight. Some of you can relate, I know. And that mindset lasted in me for like a decade. One day I'd feel right, then the next seven I'd feel wrong, and then I'd feel right, and then I'd feel wrong. All dependent on what I did or didn't do. And well, enough time with that kind of up and down thing, you'll start to think, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just overcome? And the enemy's right there to tell you it's because you are wrong. He's always there to put the shame back on you to keep you shackled. It's a horrible way to think, and it produces a horrible way to live, even as a Christian. Sadly, Christians live that way. So what changed for me? How did I get to the belief that I am right? And I'm not talking about my opinions, although I hope they're right, mostly, but I know they're not always. But I'm talking about my standing before God. How did I get to the belief that I am right before God? And is that even scriptural? Well, it took a revelation of the cross, which God gave me in a profound way about eight years ago now. And that became the basis of my Silent Satan book, my first book. And that's all a separate story. A lot of you have heard it. But through that, I came to see the gospel as it really is, not as it's been contaminated by tradition. And it's this, 2 Corinthians 5.21 summarizes it up really well. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Same thing is ultimately said in Romans 3.22. We are made right with God by placing our belief in Jesus Christ. And then Paul goes on, and this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. The gospel says your rightness is a result of your belief in Jesus, of the blood that was shed for you and you accepting it. 
not your doing. When I finally got that, and it was a process, because I had to shed years of tradition, and that doesn't happen overnight. But when I really got it, it freed me in so many ways. One, it ended my striving to achieve anything from God, and that brings incomparable rest and peace right there. But two, it ended the bulk of my spiritual battles because what you do or don't do is what the enemy uses to accuse. But when you know that ultimately that doesn't matter before God in Christ, then the enemy doesn't have anything to stand on. And there goes much of the spiritual warfare in your life. Certainly there goes the mind games. I'm telling you, the foundation of godly confidence and courage has to be built on the truth that Jesus has made you right. That's the thought that you have to use to counter every accusation of the enemy. When he says, you fell, therefore you are bad, you respond, Jesus made me right. When he says, you struggle, therefore you are a horrible sinner, you respond, Jesus made me right. When he says, you're different, therefore you are defective, you respond, Jesus made me right. That gets me going. A second, victor mentality. And you'll quickly see why that first one is foundational. And this one's personal to me too. I guess they all are personal to me. But this one, second victor mentality, is I am not a disappointment to God. You know, there was a season when I was really wrestling and refusing to acknowledge some stuff some years ago. And I think that during my 20s especially, I kind of bulldozed my way through issues and hurts and regrets and never really took the time to be healed and fully receive healing. I wouldn't acknowledge a lot of things, and so what you don't acknowledge, you can't be healed of. So this was one of those moments of things finally bubbling to the surface and me coming before God and saying, okay, Lord, this is it. This is me. And you've got to have those moments. You have to have those come to Jesus meetings with Jesus. And when I did, you know, I thought I'd be breaking news to God and that he'd be waiting there to tell me off. That's kind of what you believe when you don't have a foundation that Jesus made you right before God. But when I went before the Lord and really had a heart-to-heart, what I received was quite the opposite. He reminded me of Ephesians 1.4. Do you know it? Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. You know, this is a verse that I had read countless times, countless times before. But sometimes I suspect God holds back the full revelation of things for seasons when your heart is tilled and tender and really ready to receive it. In moments of hurt and grief and pain, if they don't make you bitter, they'll make you ripe for revelation. Well, that was a moment for me. When God spoke this verse, 
And he said, Kyle, you are no surprise to me. I knew everything about you before I made you, yet I still made you. I want to make this real personal to you. So I'm just going to take some names of some of you who are live with me right now. JC, God says you are no surprise to me. Jeanette, God says I knew everything about you before I made you. Ruth, God says, yet I still made you. You know, this is what David praised the Lord about. In Psalm 139, 16, he said to God, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every day. It all laid out. All the cards laid out. So I want you to think through the implications of what those verses from Ephesians and Psalm says. Yes, it means God chose you. You are not a reject. Yes, it means God loves you. You are not unlovable. Those are huge enough. But He chose you and loved you all the while knowing even the worst about you. It means that He's not surprised about you. That means that He's not disappointed in you. Will, God is not disappointed in you. Paul, God is not disappointed in you. Leslie, God is not disappointed in you. Melissa, God is not disappointed in you. Kim, God is not disappointed in you. Lashane, God is not disappointed in you. Jacob, God is not disappointed in you. That one verse packs a lifetime of healing in it if you'll just receive the depths of what it means. And you might say, how could God not be disappointed? How could he not be upset? I've failed him. I keep failing him so many times. How could he choose dirty old me when he is so holy? The answer is also in that verse. Ephesians 1.4 He loved us and chose us in Christ. You see, God's plan accounted for all the complexities and complications of what make you you. And he could be okay with that because his plan included a way to clean the dirty, fix the broken, take the mess, and make it beautiful forever. His plan for you included Jesus. I tremble when I think of the magnitude of God's thoughts toward each of us, of his pursuit of each of us. Don't sell Jesus short. Don't settle for a Jesus who's just tacked on to a bunch of religious self-help solutions as if he's only here to kind of empower your own willpower. No, 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 no. What Jesus did for you is not contingent on anything you can do. You can't be a disappointment to God because if you've said yes to Jesus, He did for you what no works can do. He cleansed you of all unrighteousness. And that brings us to the third victor mentality. I am forgiven. 1 John 1 verse 9 It says that if we confess our sins to Him, 
He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, that's not an obscure verse. We've all heard that verse, I'm sure. But you probably weren't taught why or to whom it was written or why that even matters. I said it a few weeks ago, and I'll keep saying it. When you study the Bible, take your Bible study further by studying the cultural and historical context, especially of the letters. Boy, it'll really open things up for you. And it's not hard to do these days. Just do a search for to whom was this book written. And look for a reputable source, of course. But that'll change everything as you read. It'll help you apply it in ways that you never thought before. So anyway, the book of 1 John is traditionally attributed to the Apostle John to address a group of churches where false prophets denied the incarnation of Jesus. So ultimately, they denied the power of the gospel. But they also were teaching that they were born of God and were therefore perfect, like we were born perfect. So John is telling these people and reminding the Christians who are dealing with these people that we can't claim to be perfect in and of ourselves, for we are each born imperfect. It's the incarnation of Jesus and what he did on the cross that cleansed us. So essentially, Paul is saying to this group, it's not you or anything you do or any way you were born that makes you perfect, but it's Jesus who does it for you because he is God. Therefore, he goes on to say in verse 9, when you confess your sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive them and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So why am I making such a big deal about this? After all, most people know that God forgives. But I receive so many messages from people who think they have either done something unforgivable or think they are someone that God won't forgive. Or they think they've used up his inventory of forgiveness. And that kind of mindset only keeps people Shackled to shame, but especially fear and insecurity. But the truth of this verse, and there are many others like it, is that upon the confession of your sins, you were cleansed and continue to be cleansed of all unrighteousness. Not just from the past. Not just level one or two sins. Not that there are levels, but that's kind of what we tend to think. But all sin. In order to make you right with God, your sin nature had to be cut out. All sin had to be dealt with. So like I said, I could really spend time on that because I know that's a big thought. I devote an entire chapter to it in my book, Shut Up Devil. But you see, the fact that you are and continue to be forgiven unconditionally in Christ is the implication of everything we've talked about so far. First, because of your belief in Jesus, you are made right in God's sight. Secondly, because of your belief in Jesus, Ephesians 1.4 says it, God sees you as holy and without fault in His eyes. You can't be a disappointment to Him. And that leads to the third point. With your belief in Jesus, as someone who is made right and seen without fault, you are forgiven and you continue to be.
Those three thoughts, well, when you get them in you and start to interpret yourself and your life through them, like I said, they probably won't change your situations, not all of them at least, but they'll certainly change how you see your situations and react to your situations. And that will change some situations because sometimes, a lot of times, we create our situations. So when you get all that right, then we'll stop creating such bad situations. But regardless, they'll change you from a victim mentality to a victor mentality. And then the lid is off for where you can go with the Lord. The enemy's lies can't hold you down any longer. Those beliefs will do more to bring you confidence and courage than any amount of doing and fixing and adjusting could ever do. After all, as you align your mind to God's Word in time, everything else begins to fall in line and stay in line. Now, I have a concluding thought for you. It's going to really encourage you. I know it will. But before I get there, let me quickly tell you how I can help you beyond this message. Need help seeing yourself and your situations in more positive ways? My Think on These Things Scripture Reflection Journal was designed to do just that. It features 30 days of inspirational scriptures with journaling prompts that guide you to align your mind with what God says about you. With my Think on These Things journal, a new confident, courageous, positive you is just 30 days away. Order your copy now at kylewinkler.org journal. Okay, I have a closing thought for you. I shared this on my Facebook and Instagram today, but I wanted you to hear it too. And really take it in and receive it as a blessing for you. The phrase, God is watching, you've heard that before, right? You probably, though, heard it used as a threat to get good before God or else. And to be sure, God is watching everything, but not to collect evidence to hold against you. If you are in Christ, the record of your wrongs is forever canceled. That's Colossians 2.14 right there. Now, God watches to collect your every tear and to carry your every burden. He watches for your every weakness to provide your strength. He watches for what you lack to supply what you need. He watches for your imperfections only to point you to his grace. Certainly, nothing goes unnoticed by God, but not so that you might be judged, but so that you are healed and helped and held. So may you sense God's attentive eye. May you hear the whisper of his word, and may you feel the comfort of his spirit in this very moment. And may you know from today forward that he is for you, not against you. Okay, that does it for the Shut Up Devil show. Remember, God is good and he is for you and we're here for you too. Every week on my website at kylewinkler.org on our podcast and wherever you get your social media. Don't forget wherever you're watching or listening to tap that subscribe or follow button so that you never miss a show. See you next time.